We really need new phones. T Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge apply. Ctmobile.com. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. 97.1 FM Talk. On Demand Audio. You can't touch this. Well, you know you're an important guest for the Mark Reardon Show when you have your own damn theme song. And that's exactly the case with Josh Hammer, the opinion editor for Newsweek. How are you, Josh? Good afternoon. Mark, I am cracking up over here. That is just too funny. I hope I hope you're doing well. I'm doing great. Actually, I just wrapped up my hour, and I, I don't know if you had anything to do with approving this piece, but I read a good portion of the piece that was in Newsweek from Kevin Bass, the doctor from Texas who wrote about the vaccines and the scientific community. Yep. I thought that was excellent. No, it was a great piece. We also published uh, Dr. Jay Bhattacharya of Stanford and Hooper Institute recently. So, you know, I, Newsweek Opinion is dedicated to airing all sides, and the COVID-19 issue is certainly no exception to that. But that piece was a particularly good one, so thanks for reading it. So what is your opinion right now of, of all that? And I just expressed some regrets about some of the positions that I took, you know, in the early part of the pandemic as well. And I feel now you, you almost have one side of the equation that thinks that the jab is killing anyone who dies, even if they die in a boating accident, and the other side that doesn't think we should even ask legitimate questions, because if nothing else, I strongly believe that legitimate questions should be asked. And that's why I guess Ron DeSantis is even impaneling a grand jury to look into some of this in Florida. You know, it's funny because so many of us now who are political junkies who are terminally online and paying way too much attention to the news cycle, I feel like we, we find ourselves kind of replaying those early months of the pandemic in our head because Trump has been going after DeSantis recently for his, you know, alleged kind of uh, perfidies and misgivings when it came to Florida during the pandemic. You know, personally, my stance, I, I can just tell you, like, what my stance was all along. So I was kind of an error on the side of caution guy for those first two to three, four weeks at the most. I mean, 15 days to slow the spread based on how <laughs> yeah. little we, we based on how little we knew at the time. That made a lot of sense to me. Um, I would say because I was actually living in Texas at the time. And I remember Governor Abbott first opened Texas up, I believe it was May 1st, May 2nd, right around there. He subsequently shut it down again a couple months later. But I remember supporting that decision vehemently at the time. So at least by May, it, 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 it seemed to me pretty clear that the progressive powers that be were trying to stretch this thing. When it comes to the vaxes in particular, so first of all, not to get too sidetracked on the Trump DeSantis thing, but uh, I, I find it truly bizarre that of all the issues that Trump is for whatever reason, decided to whack DeSantis over the head on that he is doing so on the COVID issue, which is an it's DeSantis. It's a single strongest issue. And and Trump is particularly vulnerable on that to large swaths of the base who do not trust the vaccines, who are not fans of Operation Warp Speed and any of that. So it's been very, very odd. Uh, You know, my personal stance on the vax, I I got the two jabs of the the Moderna mRNA back in April 2021. I I regret that decision. If I could unvax myself, I would. Um, I have not gotten any boosters. 
I, I think if you look back to what the pharma execs, Pfizer, Moderna, what they were saying, you know, there's a decent chance that you know, good old kind of products liability fraud litigation might actually uncover something, which is obviously what the governor's trying to do here in Florida, because they, these vaccines were sold to the American people on the promise they would stop transmission. And, you know, we obviously know that that's just not how it played out. Well, but the governor of New York doesn't know that because I heard Kathy Hochul last week being asked some of this, and, and she made the case that healthcare workers can't go back into hospitals if they're unvaccinated because they would be able to give COVID to patients, right? Does she not keep up to speed on something there? You got to be honest about at least some of it, but some of the government officials still refuse to do that, Josh. Which is wild, right? Because yeah. Anthony Fauci himself was literally on CNN in October, if I recall, where he himself conceded. It might have been the first time Fauci has conceded it, but he conceded that the vaccines do not stop transmission. Look, I mean, I, I think best case scenario for the vaccines is, you know, if you are immunocompromised, if you are obese, if you have respiratory issues, then, you know, there is some evidence certainly supporting that you have a diminished chance of being chronically hospitalized if you if you take the vaccines. So, you know, maybe it should have been up to those individuals to, to make those decisions for themselves. The problem is that once you recognize, as everyone apparently but Kathy Hockle has done, once you recognize that viral transmission is not stopped by the vaccine, then the entire case for vaccine mandates just dies and just dies overnight. So that's definitely one issue that the governor here in Florida, where I live, DeSantis, has been a leader on this, you know, this kind of bizarre gaslighting operation by some to try to make people forget about his record here, notwithstanding. But th- you, you mentioned something, and I've highlighted it a little bit on this show, and it's important, I think. When you say that Trump has lost large swaths of the, the base, he has. I mean, there, there are people who stuck with him through everything that are peeling off now on that issue. Absolutely. And it's not just that issue. I mean, you know, he had that very bizarre truth social post about pro-lifers fairly recently, where he basically blamed pro-lifers for the election loss in November. You know, a lot of pro-life leaders, uh, Lila Rose, who's the head of live action, who's a friend of mine, Lila, if I recall her tweeting about it, did not take very kindly to those words. Various other pro-life leaders I've seen kind of react similarly to that. It's not obvious to me exactly what Trump's strategy is right now. He's obviously, of course, the only person who's announced currently in the primary. So if I were him, and I'm obviously not, but if I were him, I would just try to focus on myself and not try to kind of bash various other interest groups or or, or governors or senators or whatever. But, you know, that's just that's just not how Trump operates. Well, and, you know, and DeSantis, I think DeSantis is handling it well, right? He, he's not he, he's not taking the bait. He's not. I mean, he had someone asked him about it at a, at a conference earlier today. And he basically did what he's done for the past you know, few months whenever this has come up, where he basically just says, you know, look at the record, look at the scoreboard. And, you know, I made, the, I made these similar comments to someone else earlier today. Look, I moved to Florida during the pandemic. I am, I am one of those people who chose to move here. And the data just bear it up. If you look at all the new residents that Florida has attracted over the past four years or so since DeSantis took over as governor, and I think there's been a higher in-migration to Florida than to any other state, I don't remember the exact percentage, but the vast majority of them who then subsequently register to vote here in Florida have registered as Republicans. And DeSantis and the Florida GOP have turned what was a 300,000 vote 
voter registration disadvantage when he beat Andrew Gillum in 2018 to a massive five to 600,000 plus voter advantage now. So they, the proof is quite literally in the pudding. I mean, people have literally voted with their feet. And obviously he won by nearly 20 points, turning a purple state into a bright red state. So, uh, you know, the tale tells itself quite clearly, I think. Josh Hammer, opinion editor for Newsweek. Um, sticking with the COVID topic just briefly here, because I've, I've made it, uh, and this has been fun the last few years. I've been going out to Vegas every few months, sometimes with the family, sometimes without, because my good friend from high school lives out there and we, you know, see some rock and roll shows and eat good food and may gamble just a little bit as well. But I sent him this, I have a a trip planned for the last weekend of March, first couple of days of April. And I sent him a message, Josh. I said, do you think it's okay for me to still come out that last weekend of March? Because Biden hasn't ended the pandemic rules until May 11th. So maybe I should wait until after that. Right, Josh? I don't know. Just being safe. Yeah, just erring on just just erring on the side of caution here. So approximately three years after 15 days to slow the spread, right? It's just ridiculous. I mean, even and thank God he's doing it with some of these rules. And I I guess you have to let the government ramp up to change things. But why in the world would you say May 11th, three months from now? I, I, none of this makes any sense. I mean, none of this makes any sense whatsoever until you realize that this is just how progressives operate. This is their entire ethos. It's their entire modus operandi. And this, this is kind of the column that I wrote for Newsweek and other outlets this past week, the, the, column, uh, the column I titled Progressivism versus Popular Sovereignty. And I, be, I was basically just trying to use this letter that Attorney General Steve Marshall of Alabama and 15 other state attorneys general sent to Kevin McCarthy basically urging Kevin to get President Biden to kind of wind down this emergency footing, which apparently was successful. So, you know, small credit where credit is due. But I was just trying to use that to kind of paint a broader picture. And let's, you know, let's remember that infamous Rahm Emanuel quote back when Rahm Emanuel was the Obama White House chief of staff, where he, where he infamously said, you never want to let a serious crisis go to waste. And that is how progressivism operates. It is perpetual governance via crisis, whether that crisis is legitimate or self-induced. And it all amounts to an elitist power grab, whether the elites are in the administrative state bureaucracy or, as the case may be sometimes, in, in, a, in a court, in, in a Supreme Court in particular. And this all comes ultimately at the expense of we the people and at the expense of the very notion of popular sovereignty that undergirds our entire constitutional order. So I, none of this makes sense I'm, I'm, if you look at what's actually happened with COVID. It only makes sense if you try to take, I think, a broader kind of 35,000-foot view picture. And this is just how progressives roll. Uh, this is just how the modern Democratic Party rolls. I'm not really sure how else to say it, I think. I, I was going through your Twitter feed. I see your tweets all the time, but I was just going through in preparation for the interview, and I had missed something. I retweeted this from Jim Garrity. Um, I, I guess the Democrats are going to have their 2024 Democratic National Convention in the most racist place in America, Georgia, after kicking out the... All- is that true? Uh, you know, apparently it's true. I saw that headline earlier today as well, and I just laughed so hard. I, I of course, had to hit the retweet button. Huh. But, I, I, I mean, I, I, it really was not that long ago where everyone was calling no. the Georgia law Jim Crow on steroids. They literally called it Jim Crow on steroids. Not, notwithstanding the fact, by the way, that Georgia's election turnout just in November was shockingly high. I think the black voter turnout in particular was one of the highest turnout percentages ever. So it was obviously malarkey from day one, but the fact that they've switched like this and they want the DNC of all things to allegedly be there, you know, look, it just shows that these are fundamentally unserious people when they make these hyperbolic claims. I, I, I mean, was it the Georgia law, Mark? I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think it was the Georgia law 
where Joe Biden made this ridiculous speech kind of invoking the, the harrowing image of Bull Connor and the oh, dogs yeah. and the oh, fire yeah. hydrant. Of course. Yeah, yeah it was awesome. ridiculous. Um, one more topic that I'm curious about, because I know you've tweeted about this as well, and I haven't really spent a ton of time on Ilan Omar and the Foreign Affairs Committee. So maybe start with an explanation of why that is controversial with the new speaker and why I think you agree that she should be kicked off foreign affairs. Yeah, so Ilan Omar, you know, I feel like you don't hear from her as much as she did when she first got to Congress, but, you know, she's, she hasn't changed. I mean, she very much still is who she is. She supports all the wrong people and hates all the right people. So, you know, her, her, her morally perverse status, I think, has not changed or moved a millimeter since she was first elected to Congress. And, you know, she serves on the House Foreign Affairs Committee, which is a fairly important committee by definition. I mean, you know, the, the United States Congress has serious power when it comes to to foreign policy. And it is just, I think, deeply reckless and irresponsible to have someone on the House Foreign Affairs Committee who loves the Iranian regime, who has gone out and over backwards sometimes to even apologize for Islamist terrorism, who despises Israel, who, from my perspective, is a very clear and unambiguous anti-Semite. So from my perspective, this is, this is fairly straightforward. Kevin McCarthy, to his credit, and I've been, I've been critical of McCarthy for really ever since he got to Washington, but to, to his credit, he has said for a long time now that if he were House Speaker, he would hold a vote to evict her from the House Foreign Affairs Committee. To me, it's a fairly uncontroversial move. I, I guess the argument against it is that you don't want to set a bad precedent, but – to me, that, that, that ship has very clearly sailed. And, you know, we're talking here about American national security. This is no small thing to, to, to fret about. So what's your issue with, with McCarthy overall, and what concerns then do you have moving into his speakership? Well, I think so far he's been fine. I mean, I mean, you know, we're very, very early on, obviously. I mean, my basic read on Kevin McCarthy ever since he was part of kind of the Young Guns House Republican program back in the day, he was on the book cover with Eric Cantor and Paul Ryan around right. the time of the, of the, tea, of the, of the tea Party He's era. the only survivor of the young guns, That's right. right. Yeah. No, ex- exactly right. But my, my, my issue with McCarthy is basically that I, I think that he is a totally empty suit when it comes to policy and substance. I mean, I, I frankly have no clue what Kevin McCarthy's guiding principles are, what policies he cares about. I mean, to the extent that I had to kind of try to conjure up what those might be, it would probably be the most prosaic kind of straightforward Republican talking points about cutting taxes and domestic energy production. And I support both of those, both of those things for the most part, to be clear, of course. But, you know, he's not exactly a sophisticated operator. And worse than that, he has an infamously, I think, cozy relationship with K Street. I think his staffers have been huge lobbyists for big tech in the past. I personally view Ken McCarthy as as being a, at least a quasi shill, may not a full shill, but I think that he is effectively in the tank for Apple and Google and Amazon and some of the other big tech companies. I think he's bad on that issue. And I, I, I disagree with his stance on Ukraine as well, as but one foreign policy example. He's been much more consistently kind of hawkish on that particular conflict than I would prefer him to be. But, you know, again, he made he made some massive concessions during that process. And, you know, kudos again to Chip Roy and all the others who who led that who led that. And, you know, so far, it seems like he's doing okay. So hopefully he keeps it up. You know, I would love we don't have the time, but I would love to talk to you more about Ukraine, because I think we're on the same page on that in particular. Your criticism of McCarthy, Josh Hammer from Newsweek. We'll go out with your theme song. We love you. Thank you, Josh. I appreciate it. (laughs) Anytime. Take care. Get more at 971talk.com. 
We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month without a pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. Protect your vehicle's engine with a full synthetic oil change and save with Mobile One at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Purchase five quarts of Mobile One full synthetic motor oil and receive a $10 O'Reilly gift card after rebate. See store for details. With your Mobile One purchase, you'll also receive two times points during Old Rewards Bonus Points Month at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcast. You'll be glad you did.